Good morning. My name is uh, Andrew Crosby, and I'm the missions minister here. I'm so excited to be preaching in this series, When Love Comes to Town, as we look at stories of Jesus transforming lives, because that is our story. Uh, I also want to give a little shout out here to my mom and dad. Today is their 41st wedding anniversary. Uh, yeah, thanks. I feel like I, uh, I get some credit there. Um, they're not here, but they'll watch it on Facebook after their service, so I love you, mom and dad. Um, I want us to begin today with a prayer of confession. Uh, So please stand with me and follow along on the screen. We're going to have slides, and and I'll read the ones that are marked one, and then we'll read together the ones that are marked all. Loving God, we confess that we have stifled your spirit within us. You have sent us the spirit of love, but we have preferred to hate those who oppose us. You have sent us the spirit of joy, we have taken your gifts for granted and been ungrateful. You have sent us the spirit of peace, but we've allowed our selfishness to cause division and disharmony. You have sent us the spirit of patience, but we have been worried and anxious when we have not seen immediate results from our efforts or evidence of your love. You have sent us the spirit of kindness, but we have been indifferent to other people's needs. You have sent us the spirit of goodness, but through thoughtlessness, as well as our deliberate wrongdoing, we have sinned. You have sent us the spirit of faithfulness, but we have been fickle in our resolve, unreliable disciples of Jesus. You have sent us the spirit of gentleness, but we have been insensitive to the feelings of others. You have sent us the spirit of self-control, but we have lived recklessly without disciplining ourselves. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now take a minute to silently confess your sins to God. Now hear the good news. Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. Believe the good news of the gospel and be forgiven in Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. All right, y'all have a seat. I have, uh, I've been collecting vinyl records uh, since college, and sometimes Allie loves it, sometimes Allie hates it. But uh, we have a lot of vinyl records in our house. My granddad gave me a turntable when I was in college and some of his old records. And then we started going to garage sales and flea markets and thrift stores looking for a deal on records. You know, we wanted to find that treasure there. And sometimes we go together, sometimes we go separately, and then we get back together and and make some trades or, or show each other what we got. He was always looking for classic rock or Bob Dylan for me, and I was looking for some old honky-tonk country for him. And uh, I still, I think about him a lot when I play records at our house today. And uh, it was such a time for us to, to share something together and, uh, and, and just to have that thing that we shared. So I still collect records, and, and the hunt for those treasures has take me into, taken me into some unusual places. So I still head out to garage sales and thrift stores and flea markets. And uh, one day I had the day off. This was uh, a few weeks before Christmas. And the, the big girls were in school, and Allie had worked the night before, so she was sleeping. So it was just me and the babies, me, Silas, and Evie. And uh, we took a vote on what we should do that day. And... Uh, <laughs> 
and it was unanimous. We all wanted to go to the thrift store and look for records. Um, so I, I think we may have a picture, too, of, of us shopping together at the thrift store. I don't know. Um, yeah, they're pretty cute. They, uh, they're pretty cute. So, so we went, and we found a couple of cool jazz records, and then we were browsing the rest of the store, and this man stops us, and he, he just keeps going on and on about how beautiful the babies are, how, uh, how precious they are, how much he loves babies, and, um, and, and, and just how, 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 much, how beautiful these kids were. And so I love that as a dad. You know, I love hearing how beautiful my kids are. But then he just kept going, and he started calling people over to us. And these were not people that I knew. These weren't even people that he's, he knew. These were just random thrift store shoppers. And so now we're being paraded down the aisle of this thrift store as he's saying, look at these babies. Look how beautiful. Don't you just love it? Look, he's got a boy and a girl, a black baby and a white baby. It's just so beautiful. I love your family. And it was really uncomfortable. <laughs> Our interactions with strangers can lead us to some interesting places. And today we're going to look in John 4 at how the Samaritan woman had her peaceful trip to the well interrupted by a stranger. We're going to start in verse 1 and read to 26. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you only knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't have to get thirsty and come to keep coming to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Um, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Pray with me now. God, guide us as we look at your word and as we look for the truth that is there for us. 
Thank you for the story of redemption, the story of meeting us where we are and not leaving us where we are. Help us to walk in new life and be transformed by your grace, your mercy, and your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I want us to, to see three things today in the scripture. I want us to acknowledge who Jesus is. I want us to then acknowledge who we are before Jesus. And I want us to be transformed and to go. First, I want us to acknowledge who Jesus is. This woman discovers that Jesus is a different kind of Jewish man. He speaks to her as a woman. The conversation would have been out of bounds for their typical setting, the typical culture there. So this woman thinks that she's going to be able to draw her water in peace and avoid the awkward conversations. But Jesus disrupts those plans. Even after she acknowledges that she doesn't have a husband, he continues to talk to her. He doesn't dismiss her as unworthy. This shows us that, that her place in God's kingdom is not dependent on her relationship with a man. It affirms her place as the one who must respond to God. Jesus is going beyond the social and religious culture of the day. His words to her are creating a new system, and they're creating a bigger table. This interaction breaks the gender divide, and it opens up a place at the table for this woman and for all women. Jesus also speaks to her as a Samaritan. Jesus is one who will not be bound by our racial or religious borders. In this time and place, there was not a great relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews looked down on the Samaritans because they were a mixed race. Even though both groups had the same religious ancestry, they had big disagreements on how to worship and where to worship, and this left a gap between them. Jesus answers that true worship will be in spirit and in truth. This woman asked Jesus the question about correct place of worship. We say it's on this mountain, but you say it's on that mountain. This question may have just been an attempt to, to deflect what Jesus was, was getting at, which was her life. She may have just been trying to get the prophets to talk about anything else as long as it's not her failing or her shame. Or maybe this is the first time that she's been able to really have this conversation. Maybe this is the first time in her life that someone with a re religious authority has seen her and given her value. As a woman and as a Samaritan, maybe she's never been able to ask these deep questions about true worship. Jesus responds to her question, God is spirit and is not bound to our mountains, our temples, or our boxes. I saw a picture of this uh, this week as we celebrated the birthday of Martin Luther King Jr. Several people shared um, posts that, that had quotes or speeches or sermons or illustrations that came from Martin Luther King, and they all keyed in on, on, on a typical thing from his life. Maybe some people liked that he was always striving toward a more just society. Some people saw that he was a Baptist preacher and latched onto that. Some saw that, that he was working for voting rights and civil rights and latched onto that. Some, some loved his role um, in seeking political justice and some his leadership through adversity. Some his unwavering hope. You get the idea, but, but MLK was a complex figure. He was probably, he was. He was more liberal than a lot of conservatives would like to think. And he was more conservative than a lot of liberals would like to think. But we still want to try to put him in our box to own him, to own his ideas, to own him as a person. Now think about how we still try to do that with Jesus. Some are drawn to his acts of mercy. Some are drawn to his judgment of the religious elite. Some to his love of the outsider. Some to his moral teaching. Some to his sacrificial love. Some to his economics. And when we try to redu reduce Jesus to just one of these things, we miss it. God cannot be contained on this mountain or the other. Jesus will not be our pet or stay in our small boxes. So he says then that true worship of God 
is not bound to a place or a routine or any physical thing. Jesus is putting an end to the this or that religious controversies that we love to fight about. Jesus is establishing a new kingdom that is coming and that even now has come. Jesus first broke the gender divide. Now he's breaking the ethnic and religious divide. So she first recognizes that Jesus is a different kind of man, a man who's not concerned with the walls that we put up to separate men and women, Jews or Samaritans. She then says, I see that you're a prophet. This statement in verse 19 shows that she recognizes that there is something deeper going on here in this conversation. How else would this man know all about her life? This is more information than just town gossip would have carried. He's an outsider. There's no way he would have known these things. So she has to reconcile that. What is different about this man? So I see that you're a prophet. Jesus barely gives her any time to rest in that statement. His answers are so profound, so directed, that it moves directly from prophet to, I know the Messiah is coming. The Messiah, the one called the Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will teach us everything. She's moved even deeper now. Her questions before were, where do we worship, on this mountain or that mountain? Basically, what is right? Us Samaritans or you Jews? Who's, who's right? Who has the right place of worship? But after that, Jesus takes the time, talks about a time that is to come, and even now is here. When true worshipers are worshiping in spirit and in truth, her statements show that she recognizes that God is moving and that Christ will make all things clear. The one who knows her secrets, the one who sees her value as a woman, the one who sees her value as a Samaritan, the one who knows about true worship. Could this be? Pause there for a minute. See if you can put yourself in her position. A stranger has interrupted your routine. He told you things about yourself that no stranger could know. He's answered your religious questions, and it's clear that he's no ordinary man. This woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. We've seen her acknowledge who Jesus is, and we all have to acknowledge that. Jesus is not a typical man. Jesus is a prophet. Jesus is the Messiah. Next, we need to acknowledge who we are before Jesus. Like this woman, we do everything we can to avoid shame. Because of her history, she had five previous husbands, She's put herself in a situation where she has to physically remove herself from the people so that she can avoid shame. In verse 7, we see that she goes to the well at noon to be alone. Typically, the women of the village would have traveled early in the morning together, um, but she's had to remove herself from the social setting because of the shame that she carries. Have you ever had to do that? Have you ever had to remove yourself from a group because they knew you too well and it was just too embarrassing to bear? She's also developed an emotional avoidance to deal with her situation. She has to keep an emotional distance from people so they don't get too close and find out how messy her life really is. She's convinced herself that her shame is too much for another to bear. And then, when someone does get close and starts to ask questions to get right down to her mess, she tries to distract from the real issue. We see in verse 19, when Jesus lays all of her secrets out in the open, can you imagine how uncomfortable that would have been for her. This stranger that interrupted her is now going to start talking about the thing that she fears the most, the thing that she's most embarrassed of, the shame that she carries. 
So she quickly responds in verse 19, I, I, I see you're a prophet. Um, it's kind of laughable, right? She has to try to change the subject as fast as she can. We're wired for self-preservation. And having a stranger talk about your biggest fears, your biggest shame is not a good plan. So she has to try some kind of distraction. Maybe since she seems, uh, sees that he's a prophet, he'll want to talk about the hot-button religion issues. Do you worship on this mountain or that mountain? She's trying to deflect here. Do you ever do this when conversations start to get too real, too close to home, too convicting? Now, I want to I be clear here. Not everyone has earned the right to know the core of yourself. This isn't for strangers. Um, but someone should know you. We need to be known. We need to be vulnerable. We need to open ourselves up to others around us. But it's too easy for me, and probably for you too, to just avoid the real issues. When things get too uncomfortable, I can always go back to small, small talk or get the person distracted with an issue they really care about. My high school physics teacher was, uh, was really good. We had a great class there. But there were times when uh, it was just it was too much. We, we'd already filled up the day in a class time, and we just could not handle any more information. And so my friends and I knew this guy. He was way too easy to get distracted. And so if, if, if the class ever got too difficult, one of us would just raise our hands and then give him some fact about why we thought the, the moon landing was faked. And, uh, and that would get him going. And he'd go on a rant for 15 minutes, kill the rest of the class, and uh, we wouldn't have to do any more physics that day. Um, it's really easy for us to do in, in New Orleans right now too, right? If, if things start to get too deep, too close to home, Mardi Gras right around the corner, right? What's your favorite parade? Where do you like to get king cake? Um... Right now, this may be a little too soon, but it's really easy for us to get out of an un uncomfortable conversation. You can get someone ranting by just saying, can you believe he didn't throw a flag? <laughs> You've bought yourself out of an awkward situation. You don't have to talk about anything too personal because uh, that person's going to rant now. This, this woman was an expert at avoiding people. She avo avoids having to deal with her shame by simply avoiding people and a sense of true community. It keeps her safe but it also keeps her alone. What if fear and shame cost you? I worry that in our Christian culture, we get really good at polishing up, at hiding our mess, or at disappearing. But Jesus doesn't give her this option. He pushes right into the thing that has made her hide from her community. In verse 16, Jesus says, go get your husband. How do you hear that question? Do you hear the words of Jesus filled with condemnation or with grace? What does that tell you about how you see God? What does that tell you about how you see yourself? And what does that tell you about how you see others? See, I don't think this is a statement to shame her because Jesus doesn't dwell on this point. But I think it's a statement to bring to light the fact that she is known failures, secrets, sins, and all. She is known. If Jesus met you at the well, what question would he ask you? Take a minute and think about this. What in your life makes you feel shameful, sinful, or inferior? Maybe uh, it would be a question just like this woman, go get your husband. Maybe it would be, is that really what you want to do with your life? Why do you spend so much time on your phone? Why are you so judgmental? 
All right, now I want us to, to act on this. I, I want you to think about this question. And in your worship guide or in your phone, make a little note and write down, what would that question be to you? If Jesus met you at the well, what would Jesus say to let you know you are known? Your failures, your sins, your fears, your shame, and all. You are known. What would that question be from Jesus? This is just for you. It's not to shame you, but it's to, to let us lay our issues bare and make it clear that we are known, warts and all. Jesus knew her secret. He knew her shame. He knew her sin. He knew her, and he wanted to talk with her anyway. This is good news for us, right? Because we are all that woman at the well. We're all people who have failed and who have sinned. We carry shame and fear. We question if God can love us, if our friends can love us, if our family can love us. But Jesus knows us. Jesus loves us, and Jesus wants to talk to us anyway. The way we see God is often the way we see others. And this is huge for how we see those closest to us and how we see those who are distant from us, who we consider other. Does Jesus' view of her show pity, show shame, show fear, show judgment, or does his view of her show compassion? How do we view others then? What about those we disagree with? What about those who are different? Are we waiting for others to mess up so that we feel better about ourselves? Or are we ready to show compassion and grace because that is what Jesus has shown us? So we acknowledge who Jesus is. We acknowledge who we are before Jesus. And then we're transformed and we're sent. An encounter with Jesus transforms her from fear to love, from shame to joy, from loner to inviter. Can't you just picture her running from the well to tell others about this Christ who knows her but still loves her? In that moment, her fear, her shame, they didn't matter anymore. They were gone because she had met Jesus. She didn't have all the answers, but she knew that this man, Jesus, was the one who was coming to make all things new. That was enough for her. She said yes, and she started moving. I don't want us to make things too complicated. Say yes. Say yes to the new life that Jesus is offering and start moving. Transformation gets messy. This woman could not be transformed until Christ exposed her secret, her sin, her shame, and her mess. It's going to be uncomfortable for us. But if we want true transformation, we have to open up the yuck in our life. All right, this story is going to get a little gross, but, uh, but bear with me. Um, last year, Allie came home and just said, Andrew, our van stinks. And I was like, I mean, we have four kids and a dog our van's going to stink, right? She's like, no, this is, this is well beyond that. This isn't, we left a diaper in there. There's some rotting French fries. Um, this is a stink, and we've got to figure out what it is. And so she, she volunteers to do the first cleaning. She, she gets everything out of there. Um, she uh, is wiping down the car seats, washing the car seat covers, vacuuming, evens open up like the little under cargo storage thing, clears it out. And uh, we're like, okay, I think, I think that helps. She puts a little baking soda in there. I think that helped. I think we're good. Nope. Um, we were not good. Uh, the next day, the stink was back. And so, all right, it's my turn now. So I, I go through the car. I start at the front, and uh, I'm seeing nothing. And so I, I start using my nose like a dog. I'm going to sniff this thing out. And uh, I started the front seats, nothing there. Go to the middle seats, nothing there. The car seats are fresh. The carpet's fresh. 
what could this be? I get to the back seat, we're getting a little warmer. Um, and, and I smell the back seat, but it's not either of the car seats that are there. It's, it's, it's nothing there. And I'm like, oh, it's coming from the back. What, what have we stored back here? And I open it up and I pull out our stroller. I'm thinking maybe we, we used it in the rain and then didn't, didn't let it dry out. So it's moldy and stuff. It wasn't that. Um, what's in this paper bag? All right. Do y'all know the, uh, the drink Jaritos, the uh, Mexican fruit colas? Oh, they're delicious. I love the pineapple one. It's my favorite. Um, we host a home group at our house, and we had tacos one night. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to get some of these too. We're going to have these Mexican drinks, going to have tacos. It's going to be wonderful. They were a hit. I love it. Um, the pineapple one is the best. And uh, evidently, I did not rinse all of the glass bottles out before I put them in the recycling. And so then we put them in our, our little bag in the, in the hall closet um, before we take the recycling out. And... Uh, I look down in this paper bag, and as well-built as cockroaches are to escape every possible death scenario, they are not built to climb out of empty glass bottles. And so some greedy cockroaches decided they needed to finish off that pineapple soda, and there were about 20 of them dead and rotting in this bottle, and it was filling our van. It was terrible. Uh, it was my fault. I had to apologize. Um, I had to do some, uh, some cleaning. And after we did that, here's the thing. We could have vacuumed that van every day. We could have sprayed a bottle of Febreze in there, hung 20 of those uh, paper trees up on the mirror. All those things would have helped a little bit, but that smell was still going to be there. That stink was going to be inside, and it was going to come back. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says that he can give us living water so that we thirst no more. The transformation that comes from forgiveness and life in Christ makes us new. It doesn't give us just a little scrub. We are made new. Once this woman knew the love of Jesus, she experienced it with such excitement and joy. She felt that forgiveness. She was launched into telling others about Jesus. She wasn't thinking about her shame, her sin, or her mess. She was totally absorbed into the grace of Christ, so that she thought about Jesus and not about herself. She said yes, and she started moving. The woman at the well was given a chance to respond, and we're going to have a chance to respond here in a few minutes. It's not hard for me to picture this woman in this story. It captures the beautiful miracle of our faith. God loves us and calls us, and when God calls, we get a chance to respond. First, I want you to think back to uh, that question that, that Jesus would ask you at the well. If God is moving in you to address that sin or that shame, to repent, I want to open up the front for you to come and pray on your own or pray with one of the ministers that will be up here. We made commitments earlier about the people that we are going to love and invite and share with this year. I want to open up the front for you to come and pray for those and pray for our church as we seek to be intentional in our relationships this year. Scott Sauls is a Christian author and minister, and in his new book, he tells a story about a woman who's a recovering heroin addict. She shows up to church uh, for the first time. She's going through the 12-step the, the program, and she realizes that faith needs to be a part of her recovery. So she shows up at church. She goes to the service, and then she goes to pick up her kid from the, the child care. And when she gets there, the child care worker gives her this report that um, was not a great morning. Her, her kids were fighting each other. 
They started fighting other kids. They broke toys. They weren't listening. And this mom, as though she's heard it all before, she responds by just screaming a curse word. And Scott Saul says that at first, there's silence. And then they see her face fill with shame, and she lowers her head and walks out of the door in shame. The child care worker decided that this wasn't going to be the mother's, how the mother's story ended with this church. She wrote her a letter, and it said, I'm writing first to let you know that all is well at the church. No harm done, and the broken toys, no problem. We needed to replace so many of them anyway. But what I really want to do is thank you. Thank you for the way that you wore your heart on your sleeve on Sunday. That meant a lot to me because I'm often tempted to hide the messy things that agitate my heart. Thank you for being willing to be honest. Your courage to be the honest got me thinking, what better place to be honest than church? You remind me that Jesus invites us all to come to him raw and real and to do that together and never alone. I hope to see you again. More than this, I hope we can become friends. She returned the next Sunday in such a way that communicated, these are my people and I want their God to be my God. She became a part of that church. It wasn't always pretty, but they worshiped together in spirit and in truth. Scott Sauls goes on to write, Christ is risen. Christ is with us. Christ is for us. Let's remember this for ourselves and also for those God places in front of us. For neither a foul mouth in front of children, nor any amount of self-loathing, nor an addiction to heroin, or to eating, or alcohol, or shopping, or television, or partisan politics, or gossip, as the case may be, nor self-destructive decision-making is any match for the kindness and mercy of Christ. Christ is risen. Christ is with us. Christ is for us. Nothing, not even ourselves, can change that fact. Christ is risen. Christ is with us. Christ is for us. Let's respond now to Christ after I pray. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for knowing us, for seeing who we are, and coming to us anyway. Thank you for your picture of compassion and grace in this story. Help us to see you that way and help us to see others that way. Open us up to the ways that you're moving in us and through us and help us to be available to that. Give us courage now to respond to those things that cause us fear and shame and doubt. Make us new and transform us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.